So, um, good morning again. You guys are killing it this morning. Killing it. <laughs> so exciting. Uh, we are in the end of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We are by no means at the end of what could be said about the book of Ephesians. Uh, next week, we'll start a new series in the book of Romans, chapter 5, uh, Justified and Joyful, talking about juicing up our lives with joy and um, talk through what Romans chapter 5. But this week, we're going to finish in Ephesians, and we're going to finish Ephesians chapter 6 and kind of continue on with this theme. Uh, Before we get too far, I wanted to remind you, and in some cases inform you, you may already feel this way, but did you know that the average American works for 13 years of their life? That means that, and I don't mean at home, I mean goes to work and is on the job for 13 years of our lives. Imagine that. Does that seem a lot to you? Anybody feel like that seems like too much? Anybody feel like it must be 100? It's got to be 100. It's got to be 100%. So that's 25% of the average uh, um, If somebody is, let's say, 25% of their time on the job, if somebody works for 50 years, that's 25% of their life was spent on the job. And so, if you look at that with a biblical lens, if you look at that through the God's worldview, the Christian worldview for us as people who belong to God, then we have an unprecedented, unbelievable, really practical opportunity to help gospel transformation occur among our workplace. We're investing 13 years, many of us investing 13 years. Pray for me because my coworkers are hard-hearted. Pray for me. It's been a burden. The opposite is true. Um, but the opportunity for gospel transformation allows us to put our minds and hearts into our workplace as a means by which God is going to help us bring transformation. We talk a lot in our church about our vision for gospel transformation. Meeting and trusting Jesus changes our hearts. There's all kinds of changes that happen in our hearts that uh, Pastor Yon walks you through in, in our roots track. I encourage you to register for that and learn for a few Sundays on how we think of gospel transformation in our heart, but then the gospel that transforms our heart also is at work transforming our home. And we talked about that last week, specifically, um, in, at least in some way as the book of Ephesians. But there is a transformation that occurs in our, that comes from meeting and knowing Jesus. So let me give you a kind of an overall, overarching idea that we get out of the Scriptures here in the book of Ephesians that talks about and helps us better understand what is gospel transformation um, and, and where does that transformation occur. And we're going to see here in the Scriptures that we learn, the Christian worldview helps us see this, that in Jesus, every human being in any authoritative or in any subordinate role or relationship. Whether you have positional authority or you are positionally in subordination, subordinated or subject to even an authority, has equal dignity, value, and importance. In the Christian faith, those who belong to Jesus should be leading the charge, the cutting edge, front side of our culture, making sure that everybody is treated with dignity, value, and importance because that's 
how the Creator made human beings with dignity, value, and worth. And we have to be on the front lines of that. And how do we come to that conclusion? Because we are transformed. There is gospel transformation that occurs in our hearts, and we begin to see the way that God sees. And we see people the way that God sees people. And that's a vital part of what we are doing together when we are learning gospel transformation through gospel reconciliation in the book of Ephesians. God brings all things together under the authority of Jesus. And He does so when someone places their faith in Jesus. And then Jesus unifies all things under Him, those who were insiders and outsiders, those who were higher and those who were lower in the culture, and He brings them all together, and He unifies them, but He also transforms them. So they're unified and transformed into one new family under Jesus, no more insiders and outsiders, and this new human identity is so deep, it transforms so thoroughly in our hearts that it transforms all of our life, including authorities and the way authorities exercise their authority over subordinates, and it also transforms the way subordinates respond to those authorities. That's how deeply transformation occurs. It changes the way that we exercise authority and respond to authority and submit ourselves. Now, in the Ephesian culture, when this letter was written, when Paul was writing to authorities, it would have been the men who were the husbands, who were the fathers, who were um, significant and primary parent of a parental authority, and they were also the employers. Um, the subordinates, when Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, he was writing to the women who were the wives and who were the moms. And he was writing to the children. And he was writing to the employees who were subordinate and subjected to. And he writes last, uh, earlier in the chapter, he writes to the authority and the subordinate structure that's happening in the homes, right? Parents to children and children to parents. Then he turns his attention later on in the chapter and he writes to a different kind of authority and subordinate and he um, is writing to employers and employees. And in this, um, in this particular dynamic, what he's saying is he's saying, now we're going to move on to our workplace. And keep this in mind that the workplace in the book of Ephesians, the workplace was an extension of the household. The household had employees. The employees were oftentimes enslaved to uh, the, the master or the owner or the employer of the, um, literally, of the um, head of the household, right? And so we see that in, um, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and it's going to hash itself out in the way that he writes to the book of Ephesians. So I want you to um, brace yourself because we're going to get into some material here that is pretty sensitive. And the sensitive material isn't for adults only. The sensitive material is culturally hard to understand because he's going to write to um, these employees who at the time were master and slave, employer and employee. And in the Ephesian culture, slavery existed. Slavery existed, and um, it existed there among the culture in Roman culture, and it existed in Old Testament Hebrew culture, and it was not um, 
uh, unusual. It was, in fact, commonplace that somebody owned somebody and that those people were engaged in something culturally accepted but biblically condemned. Biblically condemned and culturally um, accepted. Um, can you escape that and then press play for me, Ed? Just escape it and press play. So, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you, are, if you have a... Um, if you have a app, the church app, you can go to Sunday Messages and you can click on that button and you'll see some fill in the blanks. And then we would love for you to learn with us, not just listen. Doesn't that sound great? Learning is better than listening. How many of you spent most of your time in school listening and you realize now when you look back you didn't do a lot of learning? Anybody else? I spent a lot of money on a four-year degree to listen. And then I start to think, did I even... Listen, I'm not sure I did. Um, but we've got, of course, um, an opportunity for you to listen. And we're going to listen to Paul address the worker, the boss, and the employee. He focuses on household employment. He focuses on the authority and the subordinate, the master and their relationship with the slave. So, let's look at our main idea here, if we could. The main idea is this. All new human employees and employers, that's everybody who belongs to Jesus, everybody who has rested their faith and trust in Jesus and has been transformed. They've been born again. They have a new heart. They've been reconciled and regenerated. The Spirit now is indwelling in them, and there's a newness. And this new human who is an employee, or this new human who is an employer, will serve each other in the same matter and attitude that they would serve God. They both do. So however they're serving God is the way that they would serve each other. Slavery was a foundational part of the economy in ancient Rome. A foundational part of all of the ancient world. Generally, slavery was practiced humanely in the household. But it's worth noting that it was contrary to biblical principles. Uh, it was contract, uh, con in contrast to the Christian principles of human dignity, right? People, according to the Scriptures, uh, are not property. People don't belong to people. It is beneath and below the human dignity that the Christian faith and the worldview of the Christian faith um, helps us describe and helps us picture. The gospel that Paul preaches undermines and deconstructs every expression of racism, every expression of tribalism, and every expression of nation uh, nationalism. And it's done through the powerful, powerful work of Jesus bringing everybody together and erasing all of the separations by class. So, here's a caution while we're reading the Bible. Um, this is something I wanted all of us to know and pay close attention to, if you would. Here's a caution. Um, in particular, the Scripture does not condemn nor condone, especially in the letter to Ephesians. The letter to the Ephesians neither condones nor condemns the dehumanizing cultural system of slavery. So when you're reading through the book of Ephesians and you're looking for where there is a kind of a sweeping condemnation of slavery, you're not going to find it, nor will you find any way in which slavery is condoned. And that's important for us to recognize, um, I think, 
But the Bible is not silent. The Scripture is not silent on it. Uh, In fact, you'll notice here that the Scripture offers principles for conquering it, principles for conquering slavery. So, here's our caution. Doesn't condone it, doesn't condemn it. Instead, offers principles for while you're trapped in an institution that is unjust, while you're trapped in an institution or a system that's unfair. Some of you are like, I know those systems. 40 hours a week, I'm in one. But the ones that are most devastating to our culture and most devastating to people, we'll see how Paul offers principles for conquering it, how to overcome new principles for softening the evil, new principles for how to overcome the evil system, but not any principles for how to overthrow it, instruction for the new way to be human within a normally culturally accepted immoral institution. The gospel of Jesus and his teaching is warm and it penetrates hearts. It brings a love message that is transformational. It mitigates the harshness of these kinds of systems. It melts cruelty into kindness. And it produces life-changing equality, life-changing justice, and life-changing love of other people who God has expressed himself in full dignity, value, and worth. And we're going to see conquering principles to make that happen. So, first of all, um, check this out. Our new humanity transforms our everyday workplace. So, how do I summarize this? Um, Are you with me? You with me? If you are a new human, if you belong to Jesus, I want you to try to imagine this. Your everyday workplace for you is different than it is for someone who is, doesn't belong to Jesus. It's different. It's different. One of the ways it's different is that we are no longer bound and shackled to only living for the weekend. We are no longer bound and shackled to just living for the paycheck. We are no longer bound and shackled to what we call endless... Uh, my, my aunt used to say this. Every morning before she left the house, I lived with my aunt for several years in my teen years, and before she left the house, she, she, remember I told you my mom did the crooked finger, be sure your sins, your sins will find you out when I left? When my aunt left, she said the same thing for 10 years. Well, back to the salt mine. And I was like, that's so weird. I thought she was an accountant. I had no idea she was a salt miner. That's so cool. <laughs> But here, here's what she was saying to me. Work is awful. Work is terrible. i got to go back to the salt mine. I know it's an expression, but she was expressing to me. She hated her job. She hated it. And I, I have come to learn that with new humanity, our workplace is in transformation, is, is a place, is, a, is an opportunity for us. And Paul addresses, this is so shocking, Paul addresses those Christians who were trapped in slavery. He addresses Christians who belong to a homeowner, someone who is head of the household, someone who is an employer. And he addresses those Christians who were slaves in the church who had been transformed by Jesus. And he addresses them in the reality of their daily struggles. Goes right to offering encouragements reflecting on the challenges that they face to remain godly when they're mistreated. Don't you think that being godly when you're mistreated requires a new human heart? Don't you think? 
And if you've ever used the phrase like, man, I was battling the old man there, and you don't mean your dad. You mean, right, someone's mistreating you, and all of a sudden it all reverts. So Paul here also clarifies some employer and employee principles that make a huge difference in this social context. It remain hugely relevant to the kind of work that we are living today. And uh, as people who are um, working today, there are some principles here that we can get from this. Here's how he starts. He says slaves, right? You're boxed in, you're hemmed in, you're trapped in this immoral, evil system. But here's what you can do to conquer it. We're not going to overthrow it, but we're going to overcome it. And here's what he says. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely. How sincere? How sincere are they serving? In the same way that they would serve who? Christ. So, that's some pretty important instructions that he's given us here. That's pretty important uh, for us. And, And he actually says to them, that new human employees obey and submit to the demands of their employees with a whole new attitude. Whole new attitude. Um, And to start with, we have to be alert to our own disrespect to our employer. We have to be alert to our own resentment and our own bitterness because when someone is forcing you to do something against your will, it doesn't take long for that bitterness to grow and bad attitude to start to take shape and justifiably to treat that person disrespectfully. So there's a new human attitude that comes along, and it comes with respect, and it comes with sincerity, the same sincerity that someone would serve Christ. And then he says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching, not just when they are watching you, but try to please them all the time. Then, as slaves of Jesus, do the will of God with all your heart. So here's what he's saying. By doing this, you're not just doing what your boss or your master is demanding of you. By doing this, you are willfully obeying Jesus, who is your true and better master. He is your better boss. And we're aiming to please even when they're not watching because our new boss is watching. So he goes on to say, work with enthusiasm. That means zeal and eagerness. For a lot of us, we could just stop right there. Work with how? Work with new eagerness, a zealousness, a wholeheartedness. Why? Because we have a new boss. Our boss is not our boss. When you belong to Jesus, there's a new boss. You instantly get an upgrade. Your boss is now the king of the universe, not the king of the shop or the king of the retail store or the king of the block or the king of the uh, corporation. Your boss now is the king of the universe. And what Paul is saying is, as someone who belongs to the new boss, your obedience and submission is not just to your earthly master, but it's so much better. It's so much bigger. It's so much more important. And that wholeheartedness, wholeheartedness comes because you belong to God and you're serving God primarily. You're serving Him alone. You've been delivered from the bondage of human intimidation. Now we're enslaved to the Lord willingly. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're not enslaved to someone unwillingly who we happen to be trapped serving. So now we serve uh, the human boss as if we were serving Jesus. Now we serve the human boss as if we are working for the Lord. In fact, every single piece of work a Christian produces must be good enough to show it to God. 
Every piece of work we do is good enough that we say, God, we did this for you. And I also am serving and submitting to my earthly boss, but this work is, that I'm doing is not primarily for him or her. It is primarily for you. And all of that is, is super important. So, now, we might say, well, I'm doing, actually doing that, and I would like to somehow send a signal to my boss that I could deserve, this would all be better if I just had a bigger and better reward. My compensation is weak. My compensation is behind. My compensation is, um, needs attention. And this is something that also is addressed here by Paul. And here's what he says to the slaves. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. There is a reward, and it's not primarily coming through our earthly employer. The reward that we are getting, that we're working for, that we're aspiring to, is a reward that's going to come later in heaven, which is going to be a reward forever, and it's the gracious inheritance of Jesus. And all that Jesus inherits is shared with those who belong to Him. And that's the reward that motivates. And if that's your reward, if you can focus on being rewarded in heaven rather than on earth, we find ourselves. And obviously, I mean, some of you are practical people and you're very uh, um, maybe pragmatic and you're like, well, you know what? I haven't yet discovered how my earthly or my my future inheritance is going to pay my earthly bills, Pastor. So thanks, but no thanks. What I'm saying is, not on a practical level financially, but in a heart level, our reward, our best reward, our biggest reward, the reward that we're aiming for comes later in the afterlife, and that lasts for eternity. And that's what's bringing this type of attitude. So He will not pay us with wages that is due to us. Instead, He lavishes us with His own gracious inheritance. So he, um, it's worth mentioning here that this is unprecedented new advice for the slaves. Unprecedented. Um, unprecedented. Such advice directed to a slave worker by a church leader brought them dignity. The church leader talking directly to a slave leader. By the way, all the instructions uh, in that culture were only being written to masters on how to maintain control over their slaves and their women. So when Paul addresses the slave and says, God knows you, He's with you, and here's ways that you can overcome, uh, um, and, and, and not necessarily overthrow, but overcome. And, and this, in fact, was dignity shown to them that was without precedent in the Roman culture. Fascinating to think about that. In this new human family, uh, they were equal. They enjoyed equality. They were being treated uh, with respect by having these instructions sent to them. So um, he goes on here and he talks about um, further uh, in this reward topic, and he, and he brings to our attention something that's so vital for us to see, and that is that we have a whole new perspective. A Christian conquers their circumstances. The Christian doesn't ex- uh, primarily escape them. Let me say that again. If you belong to Jesus, what God offers you is a way in which you conquer your circumstance, not necessarily change them. How many of you have discovered over time that that's, uh, that's true for you and it's been important that, the Holy, that God has helped you to conquer your circumstances? Would you raise your hand rather than to um, um, control them or to change them? That's a big shift. That's a big shift. The Holy Spirit is at work and God, by nature of regenerating us, has given us the power to conquer our circumstances, not necessarily to change them or overcome them. So vital. That'll save you a lot of heartache. Save you a lot of heartache. I know I've told you this, but I talked to so many people who said, I already tried Christianity and my circumstances didn't change. 
And it takes a while to unravel the idea that somehow if I serve God, that He comes in and He enhances all my circumstances, all my dreams come true, all my wishes are granted. Even if they're good and, and seemingly reasonable. So, in the contemporary world, masters controlled their slaves through fear. Since it was believed, the master believed that if you controlled your slave by fear, that you would get greater loyalty. How many of you are employees and you've already discovered that being controlled by fear does not bring greater loyalty to your employer? Doesn't that seem like leadership 101? Hey, dummy, the more you try to control me and scare me, the further away my heart is from wanting to please you, knucklehead. It would seem like that's just basic, but in the Roman culture, it was fear, control, fear, control, and the belief that someone was loyal. And Paul's saying, get rid of that kind of thinking. Get rid of it. The gospel transforms the workplace, and there is a major transformation in our ability to overcome fear. And so the fear of authority leads to resentment, right? The fear of authority leads to resentment. And he gives us the power here to conquer fear, but there's a different approach to conquering our terrible circumstances. There's a different approach to overcoming and conquering our, our, our circumstances. Now, it's possible that we tend to approach our job as either resentful or representatives. I'll talk about the representatives in a second, but isn't it true that when someone is controlling you, when you feel trapped, when you're in the system and it's not working for you, the reward is too low for the amount of risk that's involved? Eventually, anybody sense the growing resentment? The, the, the resentment of the basic laborer or the basic servant. Um, if you listen to employees, almost any retail place you go, if you just listen over the counter to the employees, they're not talking about throwing surprise celebration parties for their bosses. Right? They're talking um, oftentimes about um, how difficult it is to be there and who does their boss think they are and, and so on. And um, I think that's a pretty normal, common example. Um, so, we're talking um, about how do I find the power to do this? How do I find the power? To, how do I find the power to be more like Christ? How do I find the power to treasure Jesus more deeply? How do I find the power to be a representative? Here's the answer. Jesus is our true and better. Check this out. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and here's what he says. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative. Wait a second. This is in tandem. This is kind of dovetail. This is feathered together. Even if you're trapped in an evil system, even if you are somehow bound to the, the, the wickedness of people being property to some other person in slavery, here's what he says. Even if you're stuck doing that, do it as a representative of God. Represent Him in that. Represent the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So, how do we do that? How do we how in the world are, are we to be more like Jesus? How can we represent Him well? How do we trust and treasure Jesus more than anyone or anything? We have to focus on our Jesus, who is our true and better everything. Check this out. Jesus, brace yourself, this could be a big deal. This could be a big deal. Jesus is our true and better slave. Right? What if it's not about me? What if my whole faith is not about me? What if my faith is about adoring Jesus and I see that he's our true and better slave who served himself to death? He didn't risk serving himself to death. He served himself to death. 
He was a slave to the perfect will of his father. Not the partial will. King Saul partially followed the will of God. So many other examples we could use in the Bible that were partially obedient. He was a slave to the perfect will of the father. And he received no earthly reward. No earthly wage or compensation. He um, instead received... No reward for his obedience. What did he get instead of that? He got a shameful death. So he is compensated for his suffering, but he's not getting a reward on earth. Instead, he is rewarded with a shameful death. Of course, we know that's not a reward. And that's what he gets for his own um, suffering and his own um, turmoil and his own perfect obedience. You hit that right arrow key for me? right arrow key. Yeah. One more time. So, um, Paul doesn't neglect confronting slave masters either. Aren't you glad he doesn't leave out the slave master? Some of you are like, I want to hear this. Let's go. So, um, he basically says, you're supposed to, this is so crazy. Back then, this would, you imagine some, someone's reading this in the Ephesian church who's a master, who's an employer, who owns a household and has slaves, and, and they're thinking to themselves, I would like to have a conversation with Paul because this is going to be stirring up our servants in our house. Here's what he says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. How's that? Respectful, with integrity, uh, with enthusiasm, with zeal and eagerness to please them. Don't threaten them, right? Don't try to control them and threaten them thinking that you're going to win their loyalty by demanding that, uh, uh, being demanding or, or making, it, making them afraid of you. In fact, don't forget, he says, you both have the same master. So let's stop for a second. You see what he says here? You, the master and the slave, are side by side serving the same master. You're not more important than the slave. You are not um, only more important, you are not more important to the master as the slave, those who are suffering. So why? Well, because we're serving the same um, master. They're accountable to the same Lord. They answer to the same heavenly Father who will judge both of them. He will judge their work impartially. But because of our own sinful hearts and salvation by God's grace alone, masters are the same. They have been brought into one family and there's no more big separation. Years ago, a friend of mine told me a story. He was serving in a... Let me see if I can make this easy for you to grasp. There are elected leaders among uh, the church network called the Assemblies of God. There's elected leaders in each state. And a friend of mine served as the district youth director. He was directing the youth ministries of all the churches in all the states in his district, right? And he and the superintendent of the network were going to the same place for the same event on the same weekend, and the district youth director says to the superintendent, do me a favor, I have to deliver this projector. And this projector needs to go to the person who's at the office in the same exact office that you're traveling. 
so you're going to travel from here to there, and I'm not going to get there soon enough to deliver it because you're going to arrive before me. So would you mind delivering this projector to the office when you get there? How many of you would think, that's pretty reasonable? He thought it was reasonable too, and here's what the district superintendent said to him. I am the district superintendent. I am not your messenger boy. And he was like, ooh, 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 excuse me. No, he didn't do that. Well, maybe he did. He's kind of odd. I want you to imagine this. By the way, there are people like this in all kinds of roles and responsibilities. I want you to imagine this. This district superintendent was going to arrive at whatever church event that he was going to and then preach to the people about Jesus. And that bothers me, right? Can I get a little self-righteous with you all? That bothers me. You know why it bothers me? Because we don't care about the Jesus that you're imagining. We care about the Jesus of the Bible. And the Jesus of, Jesus of the Bible served himself to death. I mean, superintendents should lead the charge in saying, not only will I do that, I am going to carry it by foot, barefooted, because Jesus did it barefooted. And I'm going to walk on water because Jesus did it. I, I mean... It make, and this is why it's self-righteous, because though it may not be as overt, I know that in our hearts we think things like that. I know in our heart. Now, I might do th- more things like that if I didn't think it reflected poorly on my leadership. <laughs> See how I disguise it in all kinds of righteousness? But what, 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 what's astonishing is that somebody won't be like Jesus, but then 24 hours later will preach Jesus. And so, here's what we learn. We learn that in heaven, God himself has no favorites. And he doesn't give a flying flip if you're a superintendent or if you're a slave. He doesn't give a flying flip what your title is, what other people have, have, uh, um, have, are, are calling you or what they have given you, some title. In fact, Jesus one time said, don't answer to titles that are given to you by men, meaning humans. Don't, don't, even, don't even give that a second thought. CEOs and dishwashers both stand before God. If you're a dishwasher, I don't mean to say you're at the bottom. I, just, I was like, I always think dishwashing, that's hard. And that water's hot and dirty. Ugh. <laughs> side by side on Judgment Day. Side by side. So, um, check this out, if you would. You get that again for me? We tend to motivate subordinates with either threats or respect right? And, and we've already confirmed this. Threats are demotivators. Fear, guilt, shame, demotivators. Um, and if you're an employer, uh, obviously, we don't have to use that. Um, and by the way, threats, we, we learn at a young age that threats don't mean anything, right? If you've been a parent or you've heard a parent use threats, you know it's sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know. Someone should tell them it's not working to say, we, you better stop doing that to their child. We will leave right now and no birthday party for you tomorrow, right? Does that work? Has anybody ever canceled their own child's birthday party? If you have, I want to hear from you. I do, because <laughs> I, I want to hear from you. But the child learns pretty quick. I'm not going to be motivated by threats, especially um, by my parent who's gone insane, temporarily insane. So check this out here if you would. Um, in this new life, 
It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. This is, this is a game changer for a household, for an employer, for employment. Let, look at this. In this new life, this is, remember the new life? We're all new humans that have been brought under, unified and transformed by Jesus by faith. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Well, the Jews were the insiders. Gentiles were the outsiders. No, it don't matter anymore. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're following the rules or you're not following the rules. It doesn't matter if you're barbaric or uncivilized, whether you're a slave or free. What matters? Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us, not just important people. He lives in all of us. We're accountable to all of them. So, the gospel also rewires masters. Bosses are to be grace-filled. They're grace-filled leaders. They're not threatening over overlords. They are um, one of the... This show is, I think, dead and gone now. Maybe it's on TV land. I don't know. But do you remember Undercover Boss? Wasn't that fun to see a boss serve and then elevate their workers with whatever surprise at the end? Wasn't that... I mean, there's something gratifying about that where you're like, yes, I'd love to see the CEO come down and say, I'm no better than anybody else. Love that. We should bring that show back. Wouldn't that be cool? Undercover superintendents (laughs) in a network near you. All Christian employers or leaders or bosses, they regularly have to ask themselves important questions. And if you're an employer here today, if there's anyone who works for you, in fact, uh, this probably is, you know, would apply to almost any of us. There are some questions that we have to ask ourselves. Who gets the best, closest parking spaces in our corporation, in our company? Um, You know, again, I'm going to give you a little self. I don't know why, I don't know why I do this, but whatever. It, it, uh, I don't like to, these are personal things, and I don't want to, it's, um, but, but it's so weird to drive up to a church and see all the best parking places reserved for the pastor. It's so weird. I mean, there might be good reasons, right? I can't think of a single one, but there might be, there might be good reasons. It's the least, the least that the, that the church leader could do, right? Um, so, it just makes sense when you think, this is symbolic, but as, a, as an employer, do I have the best whatever? Is there a way in which I could elevate someone else? Um, it's so vital to, um, to make sure that we're asking questions like this. Do I treat my employees and my staff with equal respect? Do they get equal care? Do I work hard at being fair, as fair as I can? as I can possibly be. How about this one? Would I want to work for me? I often think to myself, would I want to listen? This is so I'm, in a, I'm in a rut here, but I, I think to myself, would I want to listen to my sermons? And then I don't answer the question and I show back up on Sunday morning. Here I am. Don't, don't, sometimes these are just questions. You don't have to answer them. Just ask the question. How am I working? Here's another question. How am I working to break down ap- economic inequities? How am I working to break down biases? How am I working to break down barriers and power imbalances that tend to um, become, create these biases and, and painful circumstances for, for my employees? Since God's kindness leads me to repentance, where should I expect my irritation, 
my harshness, my impatience, to lead my employees and staff. It's going to lead them right out the door, right? Do I position myself in the company as someone who serves? Am I positioning myself as the one who is most important, most powerful, or to be celebrated? Paul, in the book of Philemon, he is um, this powerful demonstration of the power of the gospel to take hold of people who are in charge over others. Um, And he writes to his friend Philemon, and he says, Phil, this is important. Onesimus, your slave, who was run away, has been found. Get this, Paul, apostle of the church, writes to his wealthy, slave-owning friend and says, Philemon, Onesimus has been found, and he's going to be returned to you, and I am asking you to do something that the gospel compels you to do and receive him back as a brother, not as a runaway slave. What does that mean? Runaway slaves were often executed. Runaway slaves were often humiliated. Runaway slaves were often knocked to the bottom of the ladder after they've been trying to earn their way out of slavery, which you could do in that culture. So, what does Paul think about slavery? He says to his wealthy friend, when you get your slave back, embrace him like a brother because he belongs to Jesus. And he has the opportunity to show how his heart transformation brings transformation to the entire household and to the entire neighborhood and to the entire community. It is upside down. When you follow Jesus, you'll notice that everything about Jesus and what he did, what he said, and how he lived was upside down. Welcome him back, not as a slave, but as your brother in Christ. So, so good. So, whether we're bosses, maybe you're a... Um, is there bus boys anymore? Is that such a thing? Um, probably not, because it's got the word boy in it, right? It'd be bus person, right? It's probably more accurate. Um, Jesus has made all things new, but before they're all new, this transformation happens, and this transformation happens in the hearts of authority um, as they are overseen. Now, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, in this new life, um, sorry, Jesus says, you have authority, those of you who who, um, are owners, those of you who are employers, you are rulers, and rulers in this world tend to lord it over their subjects or they're um, over those who are their authority over. And they flaunt that authority. That's what Jesus is saying. Normally, it's normal in our culture for the rulers to lord it over and to flaunt their authority. But among you, I love this, but among you, Jesus said, in my kingdom, when you belong to me, among you, it's going to be different. It's completely different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first will make themselves what? You know this last. And those who are somehow end up last in the kingdom, it's going to flip upside down and they're going to be just as first as anybody else. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man, Jesus did not have a place to park his donkey that was the closest to the door. But instead, he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. And if you're an employer, you have the opportunity on a regular, on the regular basis to give your life and to 
and to um, serve until it hurts, unlike Jesus who served himself to death. And that's why we adore him and are inspired by him. So, um, another life changer. We're going to finish up here. Jesus is our true and better master, right? He was already our true and better slave. He's our true and better master and king of all the universe who chose to become a slave, to set humans free from spiritual slavery, to call his disciples a friend of God, and to wash their smelly, dirty feet. That's how you know I wrote this. And to accept our best effort. And what does he do? He overlooks our inadequacies. He accepts our best effort, overlooks our inadequacies to demand our work of perfect obedience, knowing that we'd fail and he'd willingly do it himself in our place. This is a true and better master. This is a true and better employer. This is a true and better slave, this Jesus, that we're serving. He isn't just saying, hey, you need to have more willpower and do a better job. He says, I've done it already, and my spirit is indwelling in you to give the power to do it. Just focus on trusting and treasuring me. So how do we fight this? Um, how do we fight against this? Um, you know, when you think about institutions in our country like slavery, and you think about the history of slavery, when you think about the institution, institution the, the, the systematic child sex trafficking, when you think about the things that are horrifying, uh, the sexualization of children, the level of corruption that occurs in, in government that makes people, um, that subjects people to all kinds of pain and suffering, racism, identity warfare, all kinds of other things, and you're like, ugh, this is, so, this is so difficult for me to accept. I appreciate the teaching, that the teaching helps us to conquer it or overcome it, but not necessarily overthrow it or to change it, but it does help me to face it. When you think about that, and you're alarmed by corruption, and you're alarmed by the moral and family rot that you might notice around you, and you think, now what? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to vote for? Should I even vote? Should I move to another state or... Maybe Google Earth a new country. I don't know how it's hitting you, what's happening in our country. I don't know how it's hitting you, what's happening in our neighborhoods. But it's distressing to see the level of despair in people's lives that they would take innocent lives, that they would um, rape and, 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 and destroy the lives of other people, right? It's terrifying, horrible. What are Christians in Jesus' new family supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond and react? What are we supposed to do to fight back? You may have your own convictions. There is a segment at the end of Ephesians that really sets it on fire for us. What in the world are we supposed to do? A final word to all you who belong to Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's important for us to grasp this. We're not fighting against a particular political party. We're not fighting against um, the caste system of the elite and the middle class and those who are suffering in poverty. We have a different kind of enemy than what we can see with flesh and blood. Different, different. Let's go. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And admittedly, we don't spend a lot of time on this here in my voice, 
When you get to this part of Ephesians and you're like, yes, North Central Church and beyond needs to hear this. Our fight is not here, flesh and blood. Our fight is there. It is something that is happening and not some mystical sci-fi world, but there is a reality that goes beyond flesh and blood and there is a lot going on. There is mighty powers in this dark world and they are evil spirits and they are at work in heavenly places that you and I don't see. And to believe that, you don't have to be a flake. You don't have to be superstitious and mystical. In fact, you can be biblical and wise and say, this is alarming, but it's not the fight. This is terrifying, but it's not where I'm... That's, it's, it's not the um, real trouble. The real trouble is beyond that. And so... We pray. We pray in the Spirit, Paul says. We pray at all times. We pray on all occasions. Whether it's an election season or not an election season, whether there's a, a cultural tragedy or there's no cultural tragedy, you and I belong to Jesus and we're at prayer at all times on all occasions. And what are we doing? We're saying the power that we're, that we're at war with is beyond what we see. And the manifestation of it is flesh and blood. And Paul says, stay alert. Be persistent. For all believers, be in prayer always, everywhere. So that includes us. Let's do that now. Would you pray with me? Father, we're um, praying that you stir our hearts today. Thank you today for... um, reminding us of what your scriptures say. We pray for those who are stuck in some kind of earthly system of pain and suffering and injustice. And We pray that you'd inspire them today with your words of truth. May Jesus be the true and better slave who they adore and who they focus on. We pray for those who are, have roles of employers, who are heads of households that have people who are subjected to them. We pray that you'd inspire them with Jesus' size and Jesus' style, leadership, and love. And church family, would you just join me together, just join with me, and together, would you just begin to pray for our world and our culture, and would you just pray the prayer that is a fighting prayer of things that are unseen, powers that are uh, um, spiritual powers that are beyond what we can perceive. Father, hear us praying. Hear us intervening. May our hearts not be devoted to and alarmed by and and rooted in the stuff that we see. May we be actively staying alert and persistent in our prayers for all believers everywhere, praying on all occasions everywhere all the time. Pray without ceasing. We thank you for the joy of belonging to you, We thank you for the thrill of heart transformation and transformation in the home. And we pray today that you'd inspire us to be those who are conquering all the crummy circumstances that we find ourselves in. We trust you. We thank you. We pray that someone today would sense you at work in their hearts, sense you at work in the way that they work, in the way that they um, employ somebody. We pray ultimately that we would have a greater, growing, clear, and overwhelming affection for Jesus. 
we rejoice together and thank you for the ways that you're at work and thank you for stirring us to be alert to it in Jesus' name. Amen.